So quick uh, recap from last week. Uh, the scripture, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. And uh, so we've got uh, Paul, who was basically in that scripture, was saying right at the beginning of Romans 1.1, he belongs to Christ, he has been called by Christ, and he's now set himself apart for Christ. And by way of application, and since Christ bought us, called us, we should live our lives for Him, set apart for Him. And as I mentioned last week, if you can remember, it's not who we are, but whose we are. And we belong to Him because we've been bought at a price. And we have to ask three important questions. Who do we belong to? Who's called us? And who do we live for? So uh, let's crack on into our, our uh, service, I mean, our, our message for this morning. So I'm a bit of a mountain man, if you ask my wife. Uh, you ask my family. You, you know, a short walk tends to be, well, anyway, we're going to this plunge pool. It's going to be wonderful. Or we're going to go to this overnight cave. Or, and then it would be like, Dad, how far? Well, it's just around the next corner. It's just, it's just I'll go scout ahead. I'm sure it's not far now. Uh, you know, do you know where you are, Dad? <laughs> and lots of questions. And, and I, I love it because, you know, we were graced or blessed with a, a national, a world heritage site called uh, the Drakensberg Mountains. And uh, we had our favorite cave called Vast Cave with two waterfalls over the top. And my son once, on the 12th of December, I remember it because it was his birthday on the 12th of December, Josh wakes up, Dad, there's a big buck in the cave. I said, What? So I look up and there's an elant, the biggest antelope in the world in the cave. That's why it's called Vast Cave. I was like, you're right, there's an antelope in the cave because it was rainy and the antelope had sought some cover. And, and uh, so um, if you go on to the next slide. Uh, oh, well, the buck was fine and we were fine. It got a little bit of a fright when we started to get a bit close. But, but uh, So my son, you know, he loved, he's got good memories of, of uh, being up in the mountains because mountains hold spiritual significance. You think about the testing of Abraham and Isaac on Mount uh, Moriah. You're thinking of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Uh, the the uh, Elijah taking on the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. You think of, of the glory of Jesus revealed on the, the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, they hold a special place in Scripture. Um, and I think rugged landscapes are nature's cathedrals. They call forth the praise of Almighty God. When I look to the mountains, I can see you there. In the wild churning ocean, I can hear you there. I can hear your voice in the breeze. You know, there's just God in His creation uh, speaking to, to us. And whether it be woodlands in this country or lakes or mountains or coastlines or even windswept moorlands, they, they speak. They continually are ushering in the greatness of our God. A great theologian, J.R. Packer, said, Paul's letter to Rome is the high peak of Scripture. All roads in the Bible lead to Romans. All views afforded by the Bible are seen most clearly from Romans. It's been said of the, the New Testament were the Himalayas, and maybe look at that next slide. Romans would be Mount Everest, and chapter 8 would be the summit. You know, the hope right at the summit. And I showed this picture last week from Andrew Ollerton's book, uh, A Letter That Makes Sense uh, from Romans. And it captures the adventure of the 
that lies ahead. And so for the next 10 weeks, including, well, nine weeks plus this week, but we're going to be surveying the root of the gospel. We must head down the valley into the valley of sin, which we'll look at next week, a low point from which we'll need rescuing. And then the crux of salvation reveals how Jesus secured the way out by faith. And this brings us to the place of peace where we take a breather and we bask in the in this love of God. Then we'll press up to the ridge of freedom, a narrow section with steep drops on either side. And then we'll emerge onto the summit of hope and enjoy a panoramic view of God's eternal purpose. And next we'll have to navigate the cloud of mystery. It's easy to feel lost when we consider why did God choose Israel and whether He still has a special purpose for them. Finally, we'll head down to a more practical teaching the descent of devotion caps us to a life of radical love. And then the return of community shows us how to make a, a difference in society. And then as we climb down to the, the base there, the onward mission will equip us to share the good news with others. So each week we'll endeavor to look at Romans to see what each passage meant in its original context. But we'll also look through Romans as if through a lens to see what it means today and we try as we make sense of life. So friends, this letter was written to both Jews and Gentiles, a church that was quite diverse. And, and uh, there were slaves, there were free people. And it was a church that was facing some challenges, some difficulties, and even persecution. Paul's confidence in the message of the gospel, and he urges the Romans to remain confident as well. That word needs to come through strongly this morning, confidence, gospel confidence. So what is the gospel and why is it so amazing? So the big idea, the gospel is the good news for everyone and that God has made for us to be right with Him through King Jesus. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, starting in verse 2. God promised this good news long ago through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about His Son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be His own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in Him has been talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart and by spreading the good news about His Son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. And when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I've planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I've seen among other Gentiles. 
For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God made us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, the righteous will live by faith. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the truth contained in this passage, Lord. I pray, God, the meditation of our hearts and even the words of my mouth would be wholly acceptable to you this morning. My Lord, my God and rock and redeemer. God, help us open our eyes to see and give us fortify our faith, Lord. Strengthen us. Give us great confidence. Cast off, Lord, every bit of shame that we might hold to and, and doubt and even where we might feel intimidated at times. God, help us to throw those things off, to be bold, to be confident, to be strong in, in who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. So Romans is essentially a, a letter about God and what he's done, what he's done for you, what he's done for me. And so this good news has a place in the world. It's it's the, the, the word gospel is used in most translations, but I love this because it brings home good news. You know, even when Jesus was ushered in the angels, glad tidings of great joy, you know, it was, it was a good thing that Jesus came. And uh, we'll continue to explore that. But so it was, a gospel was a word that was used, you know, the Greek, it was used to describe the moment a new emperor took the throne in Rome. Uh, before this happened, however, an empire was usually in a state of chaos, maybe even civil war. And as long as the throne was empty, there was violence, there was chaos. And when the throne had an emperor, there was peace. As soon as the emperor sat down on the throne and was crowned, an announcement would ring out across the empire. Good news for everyone. There's a new emperor. And Paul had this image in mind when he begins to tell us what the gospel is and why it's so amazing. So from the moment that Paul encountered Jesus on the Damascus road, this became Paul's magnificent obsession. And so this uh, letter to the Romans captures the essence of the good news that left Paul blinded by grace. For those who know Stormzy, the rapper, he coined that phrase. You see, I've got to be a bit hip here. Blinded by grace. I won't try too hard, no. So this first couple of verses, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And the good news is about his son in the earthly life, born into King David's family line. And, uh, and then it goes on to say, will be shown to be the son of God when he is raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Christ our Lord. So the gospel is about Jesus, the true king. We see that Paul, for Paul, the good news is that Jesus is the true and rightful king. It had been promised for, from all eternity past, for humanity. From the dawn of time, God promised there would be a king. That there would be a king. 2 Samuel 7, and we're going to perhaps look down at that a little bit later, but who would destroy evil and death? That's from Genesis. And then would ultimately rescue his people, Isaiah 61. If you can remember, Jesus announced that the first time in the temple, but he was quoting Isaiah. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to do what? To preach good news to the poor, to declare, to announce good news to the poor. Jesus was heralding that same verse. He was the incarnation of that verse. He was the fulfillment of that verse. That's really good news. And that's why it's so amazing. 
forgive me if I get a bit excited, because it is great news. It's good news. And friends, it's, the gospel is more than a process by which we get to heaven. It's ultimately about, about a king that we bow down to. That's the, the good news. So Paul uses these three witnesses that you've got on the screen here to prove that Jesus is the rightful king that was promised, that God had promised. Witness one, Paul writes that the king was promised beforehand through the prophets. And he's not thinking about exclusively the prophets in the Old Testament. He's thinking, he has in mind all of Scripture. And uh, if you want to know why Christians read, believe, and reflect on the Old Testament, here's why they do so. The entire Old Testament is prophetic literature that points to the promised king who will restore what's gone wrong in the world and promise that's now fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> the Old Testament points to one day there'll be good news and that good news is that Jesus is the promised king and he'll come and defeat death and rescue his people. So the second witness is the descendant of David. And uh, you can see that verse there. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Amen. You see, the true king can only come from the royal line of David. And Jesus was from that. We see that in the genealogy of Matthew. We also see that in Luke 3. But the third witness is the resurrection. Raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, if there's a king, we would expect an inauguration, a ceremony. And we know that this nation, we had that in the last while. A moment when he's crowned and takes his place as the true rightful king. Paul's writing that the resurrection is that moment. It proves that he's the true king and he's conquered death. And Margaret's lived long enough to remember this. To illustrate this, in World War II, the Allies won a decisive victory on D-Day. The rest was kind of history, as they say, mopping up. Jesus, he rose that day, that Jesus rose again, was D-Day. That was D-Day. And we will see the victory day when he returns. I mean, the victory of all victories declared. And, and uh, he's been declared the rightful king, the true emperor. Rome was described as the eternal city. The poets called it that. But you see, Rome belongs to him. That's what Paul's saying. He's the emperor. Jesus is the king. It belongs to him. So don't be shy. Don't be hiding in the catacombs of, of Rome because you have a king and his name is Jesus. Ultimate enemies, sin, evil, and death, they've been defeated. There's no reversing what's already taken place. Jesus has appointed the son of God in power and he's oozing gospel confidence so this gospel, good news that Jesus is king. To believe the gospel is to recognize and surrender to the truth that Jesus is the rightful king of the universe. And I love to illustrate this with, uh, in the UK. Every day we use notes or coins to purchase something or send someone. I was trying to think if I have a coin in my, or a note in my pocket. You see, I've got a note in my pocket. And who's on the note? The queen, yes. We're reminded of the monarchy. Every time you spend money. <laughs> Except now we're using plastic, so <laughs> it's a bit more complicated. But even the mail is called the royal mail. The police and the armed forces wear the uniform at the monarchy's pleasure. When Bibi had her police uniform, she wore it at the, the queen's pleasure at that stage. And these friends are images and reflections, and they witnesses that the House of Windsor is the reigning monarchy, and we are now part of that kingdom. 
To live here is to acknowledge a king and his kingdom, although it's a ceremonial one. It's not one that's an off-with-your-head one. There's the Tower of London one. No, no, it's not one, that one, but it's, it is certainly one that carries, uh, even if it's a ceremonial authority, it does carry weight. And even spiritual weight when, when there's a, and I won't get down that, but you've, if you've seen the inauguration and there's something powerful that happens. So Paul's writing to the believers in Rome about what happens when you acknowledge Jesus as king of your life. Verse 5, through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, including you are also called by Jesus Christ. So one, we receive grace. Two, we become ambassadors sent out to represent his kingdom because that's what the apostolos or the sent ones are. We now live in obedience to the norms of his kingdom because of what we believe. That's your obedience of faith. We start in faith and we continue in faith. And the second point there is the gospel's for everyone. And these are the verses. We're not going to look at those because we've already read them. But verses 8 to 11, one of the reasons Paul's writing to the church uh, is that he's praying for this church and longing to see this group of people in Rome. He's heard one or two disturbing reports about the possible uh, divisions. He's, he's, he's hearing things among God's people about ethnic lines uh, of Jewish or non-Jewish, Gentiles or Greeks. Some had begun to believe that this good news was only for some, but not for all. And Paul responds to these disturbing reports by writing, for I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, for the educated and the uneducated alike. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. So friends, here's another reason why the gospel is so amazing. It's not just for some, it's for all. No matter who you are, your background, your history, your heritage, your race, your creed, your culture, your situation, it's for you. It's for everyone. And we see this in the end of the book in chapter, if you can look at the two bookends, chapter 16. Remarkable and surprising diversity as Paul addresses six, how many do you think he addresses in that chapter? He addresses a personal affectionate greeting to 27 people by name. It's like a holy network of relational connectivity. Greek names, Latin names, Jewish names, male, female, some clearly wealthy masters, others slaves, rich, poor, educated, illiterate, eating all at the same table belonging to the same family. Isn't that wonderful? You have a deacon and a possible businesswoman, Phoebe, who's traveling from the port of Chanchuria to Rome with the letter. In the ancient world, these couriers were tasked with reading and, if necessary, further explaining the correspondence on behalf of the sender. She, friends, remains a role model for all of us. We can follow in her footsteps. We can learn. We can inwardly digest. And we can be ready to share this transformative message with others. She would have done that. She would have done that in the house churches in Rome. She would have gone house to house and delivered this letter and expounded possibly and shared and clarified maybe some things that's encouraging. Don't you think that's wonderful? And to bring it to Liverpool, bring it home, together for the harvest that we're part of. It's a local church leader for leadership fraternal, and it carries a vision, and it's saturating and transforming Liverpool City region with the gospel. It's connecting and equipping and resourcing passionate followers of Jesus to reach every man, woman, and child in Liverpool City region with the gospel. 
seeing the gospel transform every part of it. That's something we can subscribe to. That's something we can join with our friends in, 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 you know, to see the gospel go through to our, our city and that we all would be filled with gospel confidence and grow in that gospel confidence. It's not exclusive news for some. It's inclusive news for all. Have you heard the saying, all roads lead to? <laughs> the clue's up there. <laughs> with more than a million residents by AD 100, it dwarfed all other urban centers. No other European city reached the equivalent population until London in the 18th century. That's quite something. Rome seemed to offer everything. So it's like, what could this message about a crucified Jew have to offer the Roman citizens with, who had their victory parades, their powerful senate, their hot tubs, their slaves, their theater tickets. In this context, Paul's famous statement, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, takes on added significance. He knew what it was to be intimidated. He knew what it was to question the simple message of Jesus, that, but it was so compelling that this culture could be spoken into, even with its glorious alternatives. Paul knew that what it felt like to encounter the Messiah who was risen from the dead. And he was convinced more than ever that, that Rome needed Jesus. And so the way that Paul interprets the Bible is a little bit like a system of Roman roads. Every character story, every event is part of a larger network of promises and prophecies that were promised beforehand, which were fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah. So friends, the death, the resurrection of Jesus are the hinge upon which the story turns. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to ignite a gospel confidence despite Premier League football. I don't know if you're a football. Someone said to me this week, my grandson, have you put him in, in uh, the Reds? You know, have you put him in? Have you? I said, he's only a month old. No, no. If you're really scouse, you've got to put him the moment he comes out. You've got to put him in the, in the Reds. I said, I've got people who are blue in the church. They're, they're Evertonians. You can imagine what would I lose some people in the church. <laughs> no, you know, you've got to be careful. <laughs> anyway, he's not dressed in reds. This is his parents' decision, whatever they dress him in. <laughs> but, I, but I say that because, you know, when we, when we think of, of Netflix or we think of God wants to bring a confidence beyond those pa parties and panto pantomimes, you know, all those things that seem to captivate us or capture us. And so Bibi asked a colleague at ASDA, because she works there early in my hours, and in the light of all that's happening in Israel, she said, I wonder what God thinks of all of this. And this lady answered her colleague. She said, oh, yeah, my daughter tells me we're living in the end times, and Jesus is coming back. You've got to buy a cross. You've got to put a cross around your neck. <laughs> and Jesus said, Jesus, Bibi said, <laughs> Bibi said, I think it's more about Jesus being in your heart. Yeah, yeah, but you don't need to go to church because Jesus isn't in the church. And, and, and we didn't want to say, well, my husband leads a church. Could have lost that person right there. <laughs> She's working on it. She, the conversation continues. So friends, during the Obama campaign for presidency, millions of these posters were designed and based on that photograph on, the, on the, your left. Yes, your left. Um, but the only problem was the photographer, he didn't like that his picture was being used for a political gain. And he sued the Obama campaign for each poster printed. He felt that it was like he had exclusive rights to his work and he didn't want it shared with everyone else or anyone else. Friends, the gospel is different. It's a message that God doesn't want to keep for some or for himself. He, he wants, it, it's not exclusively for some. 
but for everyone. And we have an obligation like Paul to share it with others. We feel obligated to share the good news with all people, not just for those who match our race or our social class or our cultural preferences, but everyone. Friends, the gospel pulls the rug on identity politics and culture wars, regardless of ethnicity, let's get that right, ethnicity or race or gender or social background. Everyone is welcomed. Everyone is welcomed into the same family through the righteousness of God. It may have started in Jerusalem, but it belongs just as much in Rome and Liverpool and Mecca and Hong Kong. Some people from Hong Kong here. <laughs> Paul's confidence is to rock up in Rome, and it's based on what? Two convictions. Our enemies have been defeated by the risen Jesus. And then secondly, through the righteousness of God, everyone is welcome. And then our third and last point, the gospel reveals God's saving power how we can experience this, this saving power. For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. And as I read earlier, the good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As Scripture says, the righteous will live by faith. And uh, in the next picture, the good news that God has revealed, that we can be made right through Him, with Him, through faith. We all need to be made right with God. But there's only one problem. We can't make ourselves right with God. All our efforts, all the good we can do can't change who we are. It's ultimately futile if we try and change ourselves. We don't just need to be made a little bit right. We need to be right as God. Right is God. That's what we need to be in order to be reconciled to Him. In this good news, God has revealed how we can obtain His righteousness so that we can be made as right as He is. And the way we do this is by believing is Jesus is the true and wonderful King who died in our place for our sins. And once we believe that good news, that, that Jesus is the true King who came to rescue us from death, God gives us His righteousness, an imputed righteousness. Because He's righteous, He can declare you righteous. And we can become as right as He is. And we can be reconciled to Him. And where do you think this picture was taken? Which court? Which court? Liverpool! Crown Court! Did you, were you there? Did you get in trouble? <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> it's a way of illustration. If you were standing in front of a courtroom about to be judged for horrific crimes that you'd committed and someone burst through the door and not only did they take your place and serve your judgment, but on top of that, they also gave you their clean criminal record. No, 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 they had no record. And as if you'd never committed a single crime. They just said, I'll give you my clean sheet for yours. That's great news. That's wonderful, amazing news. It's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to salvation, for salvation. And so we respond in faith to the message that Jesus is the true King who died in our place. He took our place, friends, in the courtroom of Him. He's, he is the advocate. And He justifies us that we are declared as innocent before Him, and not only innocent, but also as righteous as He is, removing the barrier that exists between us and God, that enmity, the dividing wall of hostility. That's God's great power on display, rescuing people from death to life through the good news. 
And friends, everything in our Christian life flows from this incredible experience of being made right with Him, becoming His children. And all we have to do is believe from beginning to end. And so why does Paul do this? He writes this because this is good news and you can live unashamed. The world may try to shame you, but we don't ever have to feel shame because your identity and my identity and salvation is secure, not because of our human efforts, but because of faith in the saving power of the the Savior, my Savior. And now we walk in confidence knowing that God does not shame us because He's justified us. The world can never shame us. And the conclusion of this, the gospel is good news, that the promised King has come and made a way for us through faith to be part of His kingdom and to have a relationship with Him. And everyone deserves to hear this good news. How can we keep it to ourselves? You know, if my kid has a good news, they want, Daddy, Daddy, Mommy, Mommy. They're a bit grown up now. They probably won't say that. But, but they, you know, they're going to tell you something. What happened at school? Oh, I, can, I can't wait to tell you. I burst in the door and I need to tell you. And that's the kind of childlike faith, you know. I, we, we, it's infectious. If you've got news to tell, oh, we're grandparents. It's out there on the media. You know what I'm saying? It's out there. We've got good news. We've got great news. Safe arrival of... Noah, David, Cain. <laughs> and uh, unto us a child is born. <laughs> a son is given. We have received a son, and we're thankful for that son. But there's a greater son, friends, this morning. Son of God. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. For God so loved you. Not just the world. God so loved you that he gave his only son that if you believe, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. And Lord, I thank you for that wonderful news this morning. Great news. You're a wonderful, powerful name. Beautiful name. And whoever calls upon your name will be saved. And I pray if anyone's in that place this morning, I want to encourage you to reach out. He's a whisper away. Call on that name. Ask him to reveal yourself. Friends, there's a person in this congregation that said, that was challenged. Ask God to do something that you only know that it's God. And, and God revealed himself to her in such a powerful way. God loves to, to answer prayers like that. Bold prayers. Like, God, I, I, reveal yourself to me. I want to know. I want to know that are you truly the way, the truth, the life? The only way, the only truth, the only life. That no one comes to the Father but by you or through you. And I thank you, Lord, for that truth this morning. If you're away from God this morning, if you've sinned and sin does separate, ask God's forgiveness right now. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I recognize you are the Savior who came into this world. And I ask you to forgive me. It's change of heart, mind, direction. That's what asking forgiveness, repenting is all about. Seeing things as God sees them. Seeing our lives through His eyes. And inviting Him to come in. Behold, He stands at the door and knocks. That if anyone hears His voice, He says He'll come in and be with them. Lay with Him. He'll sup with you. He'll, he'll be with you. Lord, thank you for that open door, that invitation this morning. It goes out to every person in this world. 
You would have all to come to a knowledge of you and be saved and none to perish. That is your heart this morning. Lord, there's never somebody we've, can, we've looked upon that we can despair of, but by the grace that's been extended to, towards us. There's no one we could look upon that is beyond your arm that is mighty to save. And I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.